0: The following episode most likely contains graphic language, details of violence, and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 51 of Murder with My Mother, the true crime podcast where I talk murder with my mother. Lady right here. That lady right there. And welcome to 2024 sorry i almost knocked <laughs> this fucking huge garbage can <laughs> over
1: oh god sorry uh we meant to be here a couple of months ago but <laughs> took us a little while every time to get every our shit time. to fucking gather
0: yes it did but here we are 2024 yeah. uh it's be grateful good. not hateful that's it that's the one <laughs> but uh yeah wishing everybody a happy and healthy
1: new year you have any resolutions mom um not really that I want to say out loud. Nice. <laughs> That's fun.
0: She's just going to think them in her head and yeah. then you guys are all going to have to And guess. then when I fuck them up, it won't be that yeah. big of a deal. True.
1: That's good. Yeah. I'm doing 75 hard. I was supposed to start it with you, but I <laughs> fucked it up the last two days in a row. I must have said it out loud.
0: Well, every time you have to restart. So 75 hard is, it's like a challenge. It's not a fitness challenge, but it's like a challenge where for 75 days I have to work out twice a day. I have to do one workout outside. Both of them have to be 45 minutes, uh, which has been fun. It's been really
1: tiring. I struggled to have a 15-minute walk yesterday. so Yeah.
0: I walked for two hours today with my two-year-old who kept throwing herself on the ground and spitting at me. So that was really fun. But anyway, it made the time go <laughs> way faster. Um, what else do you have to do? You have to take a picture every day of yourself. You have to- Naked. Well, yeah. I yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no one go through my camera roll for 75 days. Um you have to Okay, now. <laughs> you have to how tired read I am. You have to read 10 pages of a non-fiction book every day. You have to drink a gallon of water, which explains so my Nick huge peeing
1: 16 times throughout this podcast.
0: I went twice before I started filming, so hopefully not. Um and what else? You have to I don't know what else you have to do but i'm uh, maybe i'm missing something i'm tired this shit's it's been three four days and i think this you have to choose anything.
1: like some sort of set um like nutrition Diet, plan yeah but
0: i mean for me i eat relatively okay i've cut out like sugars and stuff like that so and oh and i
1: stop stopped smoking
0: pot which has my identity for 20 years so (laughs) we'll see how that goes um i'm doing okay so far the next
1: podcast will be very monotone if i'm
0: completely bald (laughs) then you guys know why because i shaved my head um but yeah or i could i guess just smoke a joint but no actually this was my ninth year i just celebrated nine years no alcohol so that is probably better for everybody around me (laughs) it is better we're all safer for sure yeah yeah and uh less traumatizing for my children i'm sure They've never seen me drunk, obviously, so <laughs> but yeah. So I hope all of you guys have if you don't have resolutions, just don't be a piece of shit in twenty twenty four. That's kinda like everybody's baseline. <laughs> piece of I shit here. You're above.
1: Okay, everybody? Well, from my experience in the past three days, a lot of people missed that memo, but that's well, okay. Twenty twenty four. Cheers. <laughs> I'm gonna plan to be more outspoken in twenty twenty four. So I hope that's <laughs> You hope I'm still employed. I hope you're still employed and yeah. I'm not going to write it down in any emails though. No, just think it in your head. Yeah. That's what
0: I learned working in an office. Mm-hmm. Just think it in your head. Don't send an email asking someone if they can read because that won't get you anywhere. Good. <laughs> <Oops. sighs> so yeah, um, basically we we have some current events. We have been traveling the world. <laughs> we have been, mom went to Hawaii I yep. went to Mexico. Uh, and that's all. <laughs> so
1: that's the world. <laughs> that's right the there. world to us. Yep. Uh, um, we both had sicknesses from hell.
0: Yeah, we had COVID. so And we gave it
1: to 14 members of our family <laughs> at, a, <laughs> at a family reunion. At a family reunion. Well, it was
0: actually our Auntie Kim's uh, surprise 60th birthday. Amazing to see everybody. Loved it. Um, we loved it so much that we gave well, them all COVID. It wasn't actually my fault because it was Kiana, my daughter, she <laughs> woke up the first night with the highest fever ever and it didn't break for like three days so she was a joy it was really the walls fun. were super thin at the hotel it was so. like a hundred year old hotel yeah so
1: haunted haunted which maybe that's what it was yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. but it was a great time other than that other super than fun yeah the fact love that we all them. spent the next four or five days in bed but mm-hmm. probably almost killed a couple family members i think we did yeah
0: sorry love you guys if you're yeah. listening if you're not
1: listening i'm not sorry yeah <laughs>
0: just kidding
1: where's your loyalty
0: mm. but yeah I uh, had a really cool wrapped for our spotify got lots of listeners worldwide which is super cool super, super cool thanks everybody i love you guys and if you guys love us share us subscribe like our stuff you know uh send us some money on patreon <laughs> all that fun stuff
1: I want to give a shout out to sandy B oh Sandy, Sandy B. B. She's a Sandy B. She is a Sandy B. She's listened to, she says she's totally caught up now. Well, there you so go. So well, she, she was like fucking two months to catch yeah. up. So <laughs> she was dropping so at the bit today. like. So I'm yeah. caught up on the podcast. I'm uh, like, yeah, we're recording today. So. Well, I love you, Sandy, and I
0: appreciate all of your support in yeah. every venture I <laughs> venture into. So. You're better
1: than most of our family that doesn't listen, Sandy yeah, B. Well, I'll get there. There are a bunch of... Anyway,
0: what are they? What do they call themselves? Something the greedy bees, bees. The greedy bees. All of yeah. our, my grandma and all her aunts have bees tattooed on their feet because they're greedy bees, apparently. Some family inside joke. They're not listening, bees. <laughs> nope. Yeah, uh, you guys know we love to do current events. Um, we've been out of touch with reality in the last month and a half. So um, we do know, uh, if you guys remember, the Idaho murders, the... Um, The four college kids that were murdered in Idaho, um, the house that they were murdered in has been knocked down, which I don't really think, I think they should have waited because I know that the trial for the suspected perpetrator of that crime hasn't even gone on trial yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's impactful to take jurors through and do a tour of the area to make it like a little like resonate a little bit more Well,
0: and that was one thing at crime con because i mean actually the family member of one of the kids was there ethan chapin yeah his mom actually was there um but other people who were there who was it was it not nancy was it nancy grace nancy grace talk to hey us nancy. hey nancy um she told us that we should actually go yeah, and drive because, there because and
1: look. you we actually live like we didn't realize how close it was. Mm. We probably have mentioned this before, but I think it's only about five hours away and from we where we live. And we better to do, so yeah. we probably would have,
0: but no, no. Cause now we can't. Down. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the times it is really impactful, and even, yeah. I think it was the really weird layout of the house, because it was such a strange layout, right? The, the, the middle floor is where the... Where the killer entered. Yeah, which is where the entrance was. And then there was like a downstairs, which mm-hmm. had another entrance. Mm-hmm. And then and an upstairs where I think th- it's worth two of the murders took place. And it's yeah. actually the two um, that they suspect were the targets of yes. the murder. Yes. So we will keep you guys updated, obviously, as that breaks and the trial starts. I believe it's going to start, I thought it was June of this year.
1: I can't wait till that starts. Yeah. That um, motherfucker needs to...
0: Well, I know that he... He called into account. Yeah, yeah. So I also am very intrigued. I want to use the word excited because that makes me (laughs) look like a psychopath. But I'm intrigued because there are a lot of mysteries in this case. And there was a lot of evidence collected. There were a lot of, I mean, just weird things connected to that case so i am intrigued to see i am all also of intrigued the details that come out about that yep. so also we you know we've kind of focused on doing more canadian cases we're actually really hoping for 2024 uh, another resolution of the podcast is to do something about our shitty justice system and the you guys know we like to refer to it as the not victim justice because victims never yeah. receive justice in this country and if they do it's very rare. Um, Perpetrator justice. It is. It's criminal justice. Yep. So the criminals are the ones usually that are, you know, they they murder somebody. There are so many loopholes in our Canadian justice system that they're usually out within five to 10 years, which is ridiculous. And
1: so. even in the case of multiple murders, a serial killer, which is um, part of the case we're going to cover today, where someone actually killed three generations of a family. Yeah, right here in british columbia yeah you're gonna see like they're really the time that the person got i mean it doesn't even doesn't even come close to what the person no. deserved. and also this was the time
0: of the great uh faint hope clause which yeah. you guys know we fucking love on this show <laughs> Fuck. but yeah i mean even to again if you guys aren't familiar with that go back and listen because i'm not telling you what it is no <laughs> it's it's where once a person has served their, what, what is it, 12 years or yeah. something? It's a certain amount of time. It might be 10 years. Um, it's where that perpetrator, that criminal, is able to, every two years, come in front of the family members, in front of the parole board, and basically plead their case as to why they should get out, which re-victimizes the family. Every single time. time. Like, yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah,
1: and fortunately that does not exist anymore. Mm-mm. But the people that were convicted under the faint hope clause are grandfathered in. Yeah, so they so remember still, Clifford Olson, yeah. who
0: not only would have the the parole hearings every two years, would also be writing letters and selling books, selling books, and victim like re basically re traumatizing yeah. the family any chance that he got. Which rest in piss, <laughs> Clifford yeah. Olson. I hate you, but it's it's fine. Um, But yeah, so the case today as mom did touch on is a case that um, had three generations of one family murdered. So it's known as the Wells Gray murders. And it happened in the early 80s. Yeah, put your glasses on mom so you can see.
1: Yeah, and as we know, the 80s, as we've touched on before, were a different time. Mm. Like, everyone was a lot more carefree in the 80s. Yeah, I was living my best fucking life in the 80s. Like, I wish I was still right back in the 80s right now. Well, other than all the molestation that was yeah. going on, Yeah, I mean, me that too. part was terrible, but yeah. the being able to just have the hitchhiking and the freedom. Which also and the, led to many murders. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <and laughs> many women going missing. But,
0: however, men.
1: it was free travel. There you go.
0: There's a bonus, but yeah, I, the 80s, the the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, uh, basically up until probably about 10 years ago, when everybody was on <clears> one of these, a cell phone. This is there's cameras everywhere. There's there's things that basically make it a little harder. Obviously, all of the genetic, you know, the the DNA, DNA all of that, familial stuff,
1: DNA, all
0: of that. Everything
1: has basically.
0: Uh, made it a little bit harder to get away with murder.
1: Although, I also feel, like, correct me if I'm wrong, that everyone in the 80s and probably the 70s and somewhat the 90s was also uh, swimming down the river of denial because... As much as was happening, mm. no one really ever even paid attention or called anyone out for it. Yeah. And like that's oh something... someone abused me and everyone yeah. would be like, oh, well it's, it's fine. shame. It's
0: sweep it under yeah, the rug. Totally. Shh, don't tell I don't or I don't believe you or they wouldn't do that. We've talked about that. Yep. The Menendez brothers when they were on trial. Yep. What did they say? We did we killed our parents because, because our dad yeah. molested us for years and, and our mom was like, nah. Yeah. Everyone's like, Oh you know, you even said, Oh my god, the shit that these kids are making <laughs> up, right? Yeah. It, like I think that if somebody is perpetrates a murder and someone has abused them for years and years, that is, I mean, maybe this is the Canadian in me speaking, but they maybe shouldn't have the same penalty as somebody who was not abused their whole life. Because what does that do to you psychologically when somebody, especially your own parent or family member,
1: yeah, is molesting you? Especially as a male, right? Because, I mean, obviously as a well, female I mean, as well. but I mean, especially if anyone, because... There, there was so much of it back mm-hmm. in the day. And I, I know there, there still, still is, is but yeah. people are speaking out more now. Yeah, And people are, well, I hope people in your family are believing mm-hmm. you more now. Yeah, And well, people can also, right? well, and people are probably more afraid of the reach you have now. Like mm-hmm. kids have phones, kids have social media, well, kids have an easy access. Yeah, it's a cancel right? culture. Which uh,
0: I, I agree with cancel culture in a fraction. I think that Um, teaching and counseling someone, counsel culture is kind of my thing. Yeah. Getting to the but but if you're a molester, like no, canceled. Like, see you later.
1: Yeah.
0: But but in this country, cancelled for five minutes. Well you don't even go to jail. Okay, this is actually something on current events. Do you guys remember? Maybe not, but there was a Amber Alert I want to say in like two thousand eleven. Maybe not even. Um this guy named Randall Randall Hopley. Hopley who is the creepiest guy I've ever seen in my 31 years, maybe like the third creepiest guy, but he kidnapped and I think sexually assaulted a stranger, a three-year-old boy, yeah. a so three-year-old, three-year-old boy. Out of his bedroom. Out of his bedroom. And this motherfucker I saw the other day, he was wanted, he was out, He was. he ran away from his halfway house. Why are you out? Why are you in a halfway house? Why are you not in jail? You kidnapped a three-year-old boy. That wasn't an accident. He didn't fucking stumble into your vehicle, and then you took off with him across the country, and then returned him like six days later. But you obviously, you know, you assaulted him. You should be in jail, even for just a kidnapping. If you just took a boy out of his bed, you should be in jail. Even then, even then, you should be in jail for the rest of your life. If Agreed. you are going to commit a crime against a child, remember, we're, we're. oh, if you guys want to donate to the island that we're going to send all these fucking people to, like, this, something needs to change. That's basically the end of my rant, but something needs to change in this country, and that's our 2024, 2025, 2026, 2020. that's our resolution <laughs> for the rest of this podcast, yes. so, but yes. So, with that, we will jump right into our episode today. episode 51 51
1: so george and edith bentley uh were avid campers i'm jumping right into it before (laughs) i even got a chance george was
0: 66 and although he was said to be really friendly he would always rather be camping or fishing with his wife 59 year old edith edith was the more social of the two but also loved getting into the wilderness with her husband the two were living in the city of Port Coquitlam. Which is right here, by the way, yep. BTW. That's where my studio is. In 1979, George's heart condition caused him to stop working. So the couple decided to slow down and live out their camping dream. They had rented out their house and traveled in their red and silver Ford pickup that George oh, that had a Vanguard camper on top. George made some customizations to the truck, including a sunset mural on the window as well as a tin boat on top. And
1: I can honestly say that oh. this would be my yeah, dream. Surprising. Like, like rooftop even, tent? I'm sure you're surprised by the fact that I'm saying that. Yeah, super. But I would love to Almost camp fainted. for the rest of my life. Yeah. I would love to. The best is, yeah, I was going to say something. about <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> when someone looks like they're
0: camping, mom just refers to them as camping, but they're yes. not camping.
1: <laughs> well, I would. Uh, that would take a lot of pressure off. It would. You didn't have to brush your hair ever again. Never
0: dry shampoo. What dry shampoo? Who cares? Just fucking bring it out and use it to cook something. Put on a hat. There you go. i was
1: camping today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, i was camping right now. (laughs) So uh, in the winter months, they plan to sell their home and buy a new RV and take off down to Arizona.
1: Which how fun is that?
0: Yeah. Sun. What is it? Snowbirds.
1: Yeah. The couple
0: had three adult children and six grandchildren. Their children's names were Jackie, Sharon, and Brian. As their dream was to upsize to the motor home, they rented their home out uh, in Port Coquitlam and set out on trips around British Columbia.
1: And if you guys don't know, because a lot of you don't live here, this province that we live in is like astonishingly beautiful. Mm. And we have different climates, like up in the interior of our province, we have like a desert climate, but with lakes and Mm -hmm. different foliage and around here we have the coast and the ocean and and the mountains and still Mm -hmm. lakes and then even like on the vancouver island which is where we're
0: from we would go like deep into logging roads and find like beautiful this is kind of what they were into they like to like kind of go off the beaten path not
1: just like i I just bought i just recently bought a dodge ram just so i can go deeper in the middle of nowhere just so that i can like be or not around people Mm-hmm. Which and again so that was these it's guys easy to also. find. Yeah. yeah here it's really easy to find. I think it's kind of
0: take like it's obviously the population is fucking exploding, but it's harder to find but in the 80s it was But probably I found prime. it all last year. yeah so, so it's it was still, still there. good then still good. So they would trade off which child's home that they would stay at in between their camping trips. Before they took off for their adventures just the two of them, they planned a camping trip with their daughter Jackie, her husband Bob, And their two daughters, Janet and Karen, who were 13 and 11. And they would also be coming along for the camping trip. 41-year-old Jackie Johnson was an avid photographer. And it was said she was always taking pictures. Like her camera was never far from her. She was always taking
1: pictures of her family and her kids and just things around her. And everyone said that she was like, the most fun aunt. Like yeah. when you see any kind of the programs that are about this case, they're saying like she was the most loving and like, she would cuddle you and pay attention to you and Love like, aunts like, yeah, that. totally. I have a couple aunts that are like that.
0: Love you guys. Love you ants. Yeah. Um, they're actually my great aunts. So it makes them even my better. Aunts. They're mom's aunts. Cause I'm getting my banjo out. So her husband Bob was 44 and he was said to be a practical joker. A motorbike enthusiast and a really good worker. He had the same job for 25 years at the Gorman Brothers Lumber Sawmill. Thirteen year old Janet and eleven year old Karen were said to be happy girls and they actually got along really well. Which they were always playing together. Yeah, you know it's kinda
1: only a couple of apart.
0: Yeah, and they always they were playing piano they would play piano together. They were in girl guides, so they were always trying to earn like different badges for girl guides and probably selling cookies everywhere they could go. Remember that? (laughs) Don't (laughs) I got kicked out of brownies? I got kicked out of girl guides, so the (laughs) apple does not fall far from the tree. On August 2nd, they set off, and on August 3rd, 1982, George and Edith Bentley checked into the Dawson Falls campsite in Wells Gray Provincial Park. And when they were there, obviously this was the early 80s, so nobody had cell phones, but what nope. they would do is they would leave every couple of days, check in with some of their kids, let them know everyone's having a great time, and, you know, head back
1: they had to put find a pay paper, phone. Put some paper plates on the... On the uh, tree to show where the yeah show
0: everyone where you were yeah or like some little uh, fluorescent <coughs> tape
1: yeah you know that some deer tape hunting there you tape go. and also um, the park that they were going to we've already touched on like how deep the wilderness that they like to go into mm-hmm. was. But Wells Gray Park is actually 5,000 kilometers. It's bigger than the whole yeah. uh, downtown lower, or lower mainland. And honestly, like I would love to go there. There's waterfalls, there's caves, there's lakes. There's, it's very vast. It's it's, it's so beautiful, too. It's mm-hmm. so rugged. Yeah, that's why it makes this
0: story even it's, more creepy. It is because yeah. it's so vast and big and beautiful that it like just it was a background of such a horrible yeah. murder, murders. So everyone, again, they didn't think anything of it because you know they're
1: camping. There's there's so many of them there. There's six of them, and they're not gonna hear from them usually. Like when mm. there's that many people camping, they're like, okay, well they're having a great time. Yeah. Until uh, on August sixteenth, Bob. Did not show up for work. And as we've said before, he was very, very diligent. He never yeah. missed a day of work very like out his of whole character. life. And then, obviously, that probably mm. set kind of a chain
0: reaction because then they started to think, okay, if we haven't heard from him, Where no one's heard else? from every, anyone else. Yeah. So, again, being very out of character, this made everyone worry, and a missing persons report was made for all of the six relatives.
1: Can you imagine? No. You see you see film of the rest of the family talking about it mm-hmm. and they're just like beside themselves. You see yeah. pictures of their son, their other son mm-hmm. and he's like, even interviews asking like, yeah. do you know where your parents are? Like, what do you think? And he's like, I have no idea. Yeah. And uh, that worry, like we always,
0: this always comes up somehow, but mom is like the only person I talk to every day. I talk to you multiple times yeah. a day. And if, if I were to go missing, I mean, you don't believe it, but you know something yeah. is wrong. If you have a close familial connection with your, you know, your close, like a unit.
1: Well, you say to me all the time, are you, are you alive? alive? If she doesn't answer yeah, me. Because I'm like- more of a
0: non-answerer than she is. Yeah, so. because I'm always like, hello, are you alive? Like, I literally text you that probably like once every couple of weeks yeah. because you don't answer me. Then it's like, I'm going to drive to your a house. I'm fucking bitch and yeah. I don't answer anybody. <laughs> the <fuck? laughs> so the family, uh, the Jackie and Bob owned a beige Caravelle Plymouth, which I had to Google because they don't make those anymore. (laughs) So it was a very 70s looking vehicle. So after almost four weeks, on September 13th, 1982, Mounties received a tip from a hiker that had been hiking on Battle Mountain near Clearwater.
1: It was a mushroom picker. A mushroom picker
0: he had found an old burnt out car and he believed that this car would be connected to the family's disappearance because now think about it six relatives are missing it's been four weeks this is big news this is like everyone's looking for them where could they be
1: and they were also like the the towns that are surrounding this park are small little towns where everyone knows each other so Mm -hmm. you know that was kind of their last known location the police were going to to door-to-door asking, like, have you seen these people? They were posting photos of the car. Mm -hmm. And so although the car was burnt to shit, basically, uh, the police helicoptered to the rural scene, and it was out in the middle of nowhere. Well, we
0: talked about how vast it is. So right away, that made them, you know, obviously they found the car. And your car doesn't just catch on fire and you're missing. That's not, you know, what happens. There's obviously something that has happened to have the car burnt and in a hidden area
1: and and there had been forest fires in that area in Mm -hmm. like a couple years before so they didn't know like the the person the mushroom picker didn't know like is this a result of a forest fire but nothing around it was burnt Mm -hmm. but again
0: they've had this car if you've seen this car if you've seen this truck if you've seen these people kind of probably broadcasted on the radio on the tv you know on the news So police, like Mom said, helicoptered to the rural scene, and they recall being able to smell and feel the death around them as they approached the old burnt-out car, and it was the Johnson's Beige Plymouth. Given the state of the car, the police worried they might not be able to obtain proper evidence. As they peered into the back seat, they saw what appeared to be a charred mass of bones and ashes. They assumed
1: these were the bodies of two of the missing family members. So the trunk of the car was locked, but oddly there were keys hanging out of the lock in the trunk, but they couldn't work the keys. And they thought this is really weird. Like why are the keys hanging out of here? Mm -hmm. But they had to get uh, one of the officers to pry open the trunk. Um, And when they used a crowbar, they were finally able to get the trunk open. And then they were shocked at what they had uncovered. The remnants of two small little bodies uh, and the tiny skulls were staring right as they opened the as yeah. they opened the trunk they could see two tiny skulls staring up at them.
0: Well and like mom said, you know having the family members interviewed but when you watch even the investigators that worked on this yeah. case, like this case is is horrible. Any case we cover with a murder is horrible but six family members, six people, two of them being children, and imagine opening a car after looking for them for almost a month and seeing two little skulls. Like that's, you can't, you know exactly who that
1: is. And when you watch the interviews with, with the uh, police officers that worked this case, they're still crying when they yeah, talk about it. It's horrible.
0: So there was a bullet hole right through the middle of the skull. And investigators knew that due to the size of the skulls, these were most likely the remains of Janet and Karen. The investigators believed that they had found four of the six family members. The pathologist, however, shocked investigators when they had said that they actually had all of the bodies in the car. Which is like, think about that. You know, six people, four of them being full-sized adults and two children,
1: were now just a pile of ash and bones. And apparently they were burnt at such a high temperature that all four people in the back seat, all four adult bodies that were burnt, didn't even fill a half of a shopping bag. That's how much was left. So they loaded the car into
0: a cube van and brought it to the Vancouver crime lab. Because like we said, this is a very small town. They didn't have the capacity in the crime lab. Maybe they didn't even have a crime lab there. I mean- Oh, probably not. Probably not. It was also the early 80s. also the 80s. (laughs) Yeah. But they could still not find the Bentleys truck and camper. A funeral was held for all the family members And sadly, it was the same church that saw Jackie, Mary, Bob Johnson just probably, what, not even 20 years before.
1: Yeah.
0: Seventy-five officers canvassed the area of Clearwater and knocked on every door, and they also started a tip line. Police received a tip of two men with French accents that were seen in the Clearwater area and were seen driving George Bentley's truck. Composite sketches of the two men were released. And in April of 1983, they released a reenactment with actors on Global.
1: That looked like the family members. Yeah.
0: So a timeline is created, and police made a replica of George's truck and drove the truck the same route they believed that the two Frenchmen had went. They hoped that seeing the replica would jog the memory of anyone in the area. The truck had signs on it that read, Have you seen a truck and camper similar since August 1982? Officers reached the Montreal area, but turned around when they had no more leads.
1: I still remember this. Like I, I, re- I remember scary. how scary it was like before they had found them. Like I'm a kid at this mm-hmm. point. I'm my mom's kid. You're just your mom's kid. Just waiting to yeah. like, what the fuck is going on? Like, well, and even because their family members, yeah, and that, they the didn't even were know kids. like where where did these people go? They just vanished. And I remember when they were going, you know, east. You think like, mm-hmm. okay, good. Like they went out east. These killers, yeah, but they couldn't find them when they went. Mm-hmm.
0: So because of all of these tactics, they were kind of trying to think outside the box, right? But the police were actually criticized for their actions as this was very out of the box and very costly. But they were desperate to solve these horrific murders. And you know what? I would rather that than the yeah. fucking shit that's going on these days where people are like, we don't want to solve this one. It's not the husband that did it in a way. Yeah. Fuck. Like at least they're going out of their way. They're doing things that will help jog somebody's With a memory. lot of heart and soul. Exactly. We need these guys back on
1: the force. Get yeah, out of retirement. We need the 80s back is what yeah. we need. Fucking time machine. Is so, for the molesting part.
0: Yeah. Leave the molesting out, but everything else, bring it back. <laughs> well, actually, cops really always said she probably ran away yeah, <laughs> for every enough. single yeah. person. So, these seven children case, ran away. Yes. In this case, they're doing a great job. But a year had passed with nothing. Over 12,000 tips poured in, but there were still no significant leads in the murder of three generations of this family.
1: And how fucked up is that? It's fucked up. Yeah.
0: And then, 15 months later, police get the phone call they had been waiting for. George Bentley's truck and camper had been found in Clearwater, hidden on top of Trophy Mountain.
1: Right where they started.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. They had been on a wild goose hunt for this truck across Canada, but it was under their noses the whole time. 50 feet further than where the truck was was a large reservoir. So obviously using all their police work, they could tell that somebody was trying to really get rid of this truck yeah. but basically it had gotten stuck. So the person yeah, they tried to it push unstuck. it down the cliff but mm-hmm. it got stuck. Yeah. Bank- Bank- the universe, and <laughs> they, they lifted
1: oh. even the airlifting. So they tried to take it out once with a helicopter yeah. that wasn't heavy enough because it was such a big truck yeah. to lift out of such a small, like remote place. Like, imagine how how the killer even got the truck. No, there. and that's the thing.
0: They knew that somebody. So obviously, the person who had hit in the car, and now the person who had hit in the camper in the truck. Yep. Somebody was familiar with this area because you can't just. I'm going to go up here. I wonder if anyone ever goes here. You know that nobody's going to go up there. local, yo. Mm -hmm. So another tip came in about three days later. A man said he had seen that truck and trailer at a campsite called Old Bear Creek Camp, which once was used, it was like a jail site. It was a jail, yeah. They found what appeared to be the Bentley Johnson's campsite with a fire pit, two marshmallow roasting sticks, and some beers that were still sitting in the river
1: so sad it's really sad when you see pictures of bob he was always drinking this certain type of beer and i remember those bottles any of you that are older adults remember <laughs> <laughs> the rounded 25. beer bottles and then our parents used to let us make root beer in these beer bottles afterwards so we'd walk around with like these real beer bottles pretend we're drinking beer but wow. it's just root beer you can make root beer yeah god
0: <laughs> well that's what shocked me at that sentence <laughs> So yeah, the favorite beer of Bob Johnson's was sitting in the river, and they found six spent twenty-two caliber shells. So they knew at that time that this was the scene of the horrific murders of the six family members. But, like they do sometimes, investigators decided not to release this and to keep this as holdback evidence. So we've touched on this a lot of times. Holdback evidence is evidence that they, the police have and the only other person that would know this evidence is the perpetrator. So the the killer is going to be the only person because nobody knew. They never said where they were camping. So nobody knew where they yeah. were camping. Just that's like why it was, it was just hard. just like a vagary. Well, that's why it was hard because also that area is so large that they could have camped in a thousand different spaces. And
1: Five thousand.
0: Five thousand different spaces. And their truck and trailer were missing. So how did they know where they were? So this obviously just kind of... Hit it home for them. And another
1: another piece of the holdback evidence was that there was a bullet found in the door of the truck. Yes.
0: So given where the truck, the car, and the campsite were located, investigators knew that the person responsible had to have in-depth knowledge of the area and had to be very familiar with the park's terrain. So having so little to work with, police now had two pieces of holdback evidence. A bullet hole was found in the side of the truck door. They canvassed the area
1: again. And they were going into people's houses like they were like mm-hmm. they were serious about it. Yeah.
0: Well, because given how many how big the area was, I don't think there was too many people that lived around there. Like yeah. it wasn't a huge overpopulated place. No. One person questioned mentioned that a man by the name of David Shearing had a problem with a bullet hole in the door of a truck that he needed fixed. Oh, yeah, he was seen neon driving,
1: flag. driving a truck with a bullet hole in the door.
0: Days later, a police officer was having coffee in Clearwater when a waitress slipped him a note. This waitress is a real MVP. Yeah. The note had a name on it, and the name was David Shearing. David Shearing was now on the top of their list, which didn't have <laughs> I don't think
1: any of their names. I don't think it was maybe. She was
0: the sole name.
1: So there was another phone call that came in saying that David Shearing had run over and killed a man years before and had never been caught for it. So now the police had to David Shearing to question. Yeah, it's because like they had this. <laughs> I just
0: put a period, and then I didn't put anything <laughs> else, and Mom is reading it. Now the police had period. Yeah. Well, now the police had, now the question police had <laughs> was who was David Shearing? Police didn't have enough evidence to charge him, but he was no stranger to the local police. David had been on the radar for some thefts, and the police actually had a gun pulled on them which is a really good way to get yourself familiar with the police basically by one of his friends when they showed up to question him about the, th- the theft a friend pulled out a gun on the cops so i mean that's probably gonna
1: and his face looked like it had been he looked six five years old out of it we had a big hook nose and like been broken about 50 times and this is like the
0: thing he was only we're gonna uh, you guys can Google because I don't like to fucking put the pictures of them on there. But he was 24 years old and he looked older than my grandfather. I don't know. He lived a rough a weird life. weird thing
1: we were talking about earlier. Is how come people, people look so old?
0: I don't know. Something in the water. Maybe all the fluoride. I don't know. Ugh. Before they started filtering it out. <laughs> so David Shearing only lived two miles up the road from the campsite poli- police believed that the family was killed in. David had been questioned earlier in the investigation and cleared. He was a hunter, and he also had a Remington 22, which police now believe to be the murder weapon. They brought him in for questioning. David chain-smoked as he was questioned. Police accused David of the death of David Carter, which would be the man that he ran over years before. And to their dismay, David instantly confessed. He wrote a statement retelling the events of the night he ran over David Carter. But police let him know that this is not the real reason that they had brought him in. When police asked David if he had any information on the Johnson-Bentley murders, David instantly stiffened up and avoided eye contact. They asked him if he knew where they were murdered. He answered, yeah, weren't they killed in the old Bear Creek campsite? As if it were common knowledge. Gotcha. Gotcha, motherfucker. David instantly started crying, and the police officer questioning David said, You knew we would come for you, didn't you? And David replied, Yeah. He said, I saw them on the way home from work and sat in the bush watching them. Fucking weirdo. They were having so much fun. The second night, I went down there, and they were there again. I took my twenty-two with me this time. Bob Johnson stood up and looked at me as I walked towards them, and I shot him. He didn't use their names, but he said the younger man, but I'm going to use his name. The younger woman stood up to run away, so I shot her too. That's Jackie. Then the old man started walking towards me, George, so I shot him. The older woman, Edith, Edith yeah, was running towards the back of the camper, so I shot her in the back of the head. The first guy I shot was still alive, so I went back and shot him again. When asked about the girls, he said they were in the tent. He said to the girls, There is a bad man, and your parents said to stay in the tent. I left them there and dragged the other bodies into the beige car. I went back to get the girls. They sat in the front of the car, and I told them I was going to take them somewhere safe. I told them not to get out of the car because there were bears and wolves that would eat them.
1: And it's so, so, so heartbreaking that he had these girls... In the car with all of their dead relatives piled in the back. And the girls yeah. were in the front seat of the car. And he says that they believed his story. Yeah, but, but how could they? Yeah. And
0: also this is coming from him, which... So he's trying to minimize. Yes. Obviously. Obviously. He told police that he set up a tent for the girls, but after a couple of days, he brought them to an old cabin in the woods. Someone knocked on the door the next morning, and when David peered out the window, he saw what appeared to be a prison guard with prisoners in the river. He told the children not to say a word and opened the door.
1: So sad, because those girls were still alive, and they were right there.
0: Yeah, and you know, obviously you want to say, you know, why didn't you yell, why didn't you, yeah. but they're They little. were so paralyzed of with course, fear, Of course, of course. The prison guard said, I'm just here to let you know that we're doing some fishing, but we'll be out of here shortly. I didn't want you to be alarmed. So David just said like okay and probably tried to just okay see ya and shut the door. So they said as he they said he returned and Janet asked oh sorry well skipped ahead. Late that afternoon, David says he brought the kids back to the campground. He told the youngest one, Karen, that he had to show her something. He shot her in the back of the head. They said that he ret- he said that he returned and Janet asked about Karen. He led her to the same place as he brought Karen told her to turn around, and shot her as well. Which, David said that he claimed that he, because who just does that? Who just does that? If you have a gun already, you could probably easily, if you're trying to steal all their possessions, which is what he claimed, he said.
1: that's why he claimed he did it, but that didn't really make very much sense. No, and police
0: knew that that's probably not why, that's not a motive to kill a whole family. No. And it was the 80s, so.
1: They didn't, Yeah. And you couldn't pawn anything like that close to home.
0: Yeah. He agreed to walk officers through the sites and drew maps that led them to George Bentley's aluminum boat and motor. He reenacted the ambush with no remorse. He was charged with six counts of second degree murder, which I think should have been first. So there were doubts that one man could be responsible for all these murders.
1: His, I mean, once the trial started, he pled guilty to all six counts. Mm -hmm. But his Friends and family were in disbelief. They wrote letters, you know, to pump him up and say, like how say how good about his, his character, character was. Mm-hmm. And, like, I saw interviews with his brother and his sister-in-law, and they were like, he could never have done this. Yeah. Uh, they, they described him as a quiet and retiring person who would rather be fishing or in the wilderness. He was so comfortable.
0: In the wilderness. In the
1: wilderness. And his school counselor even wrote that he was an above-average student. His family said he was loving and devoted. He was a great part of their family. And he'd even returned home working away to take care of the family ranch when his father fell ill.
0: Yeah. And his father passed away just four months before the murder. So, I mean, he began to drink heavily, but we do see when someone snaps. It's usually yeah. because there's been a lar- like a life event, a life-altering event that's happened in their lives. So, obviously, no excuse, but that is that's going to be right there, something that kind of helps the case because it's like, okay, I mean, he admitted it. But let's say, you know, it's, it's a psychological thing that if something sets you off, you're going to go and yeah. probably do something horrible if it's in you. But that's what people said about Ted Bundy too. He was a fucking politician and or a, like lawyer. a lawyer. and a, He was so nice and so this. But people are not always who they show to be. No.
1: I mean, that demon is living within them yeah and there
0: was actually talk around the town that David had a thing for young girls which is why the police I mean without even knowing that they suspected that that was probably the the real motive for them all being murdered so when asked David didn't say when asked why David said he didn't really know why he did it but he wanted the car and the camper Shearing was sentenced to life in jail
1: and at the time it was the longest sentence anyone had ever had. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and right away as soon as he got into jail, he changed his name because you know, no one's gonna know who you are because I mean, I guess it wasn't like the time of social media, but like if I saw it to that his face made in Yeah, Ennis. His last yep. name's now Ennis. So he's in jail as David Ennis. And after he was sentenced, officers returned to question him. He insisted he knew they insisted, they said, you know, you know the real motive and they believed it was something more sinister. When an officer had returned to the cabin, he found the initials carved into the wood of of the cabin of DS
1: and JJ, David Shearing and Janet Johnson. So Janet was actually the oldest one, oldest daughter, and she was the intended target. They figure he was fixated on her mm. and when he was stalking and watching and he was, it was sexually motivated. Yeah. Shearing did not
0: admit this straight away. He went into prison where he changed his name to David Ennis. And in 1994, he married a woman named Heather. They wrote letters back and forth and had conjugal visits, which is such a fucking shit.
1: Who the fuck would do that? Well, no.
0: Yeah, those people who marry people like that are weirdos, especially if you look at the, you know, the the crime in itself. Why would you ever marry someone like that? Um, but also the fact that these people can have things, Kelly Ellard from case one episode one, getting married, having, having children. children, doing all these things, having sex having sex should be like you shouldn't be able to do any of that stuff. No. You should be you should when you' your wiener choose, cut off after you, you rape two kids. You should. you should. So in 2008, David was eligible for parole. Mm. Like, Can you imagine that? You killed six fucking people. Yeah, you shouldn't go anywhere. You shouldn't even be on a thought for parole. The family read victim impact statements and had a 10,000 signature petition to keep him behind bars. He was denied parole. But this, of course, was the time of the sick fuck clause, which saw murderers have a parole review every two years, putting families through hell over and over again. Over the years, more details have come out about what he had done to the girls. He recalled keeping them chained and apparently said this with no emotion.
1: And he had them he had them they figure for a couple a days, days. or oh, a week. Well yeah. the one I think he maybe didn't
0: have for as long. The younger one But um, he had them for a long time. It well, wasn't just a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. In 2016, the families were instrumental with changing the Parole Board's reviews to every five years. However, convicted murderers are still eligible to apply for parole a year after they are denied. In 2021, now 62 years old, there was a petition with nearly 90,000 signatures to keep him behind bars. Shearing has completed multiple sex offender courses Which, good, that's great, but that doesn't take Take back what you did. did. And that shouldn't make it like, oh, I did some courses, now I'm going back into the... No. And he, in
1: 1985, he admitted to stalking other potential Mm -hmm. victims. And they figure he is probably a psychopath and has sexual sadism and antisocial and schizoid personality traits.
0: Yeah. His wife of 26 years, Heather, said that if David is released, he is not welcome to live with her. What a
1: marriage. But I'll just go to the jail and fuck him. Yes.
0: (laughs) Crazy. David Shearing's next mandatory parole hearing is set for 2026, but he can apply for an unescorted temporary absence at any time. Good job, Canada. this man and he's only 62 he probably looks 180 but (laughs) but he's 62 he's still able-bodied he's still able working out every day yes prison but that's it you're gonna let him out with an escorted so him and randall hopley can fucking take off together yep (sighs) so it has now been 40 years that the Johnson Bentley, uh, it has now been 40 years, and the Johnson Bentley Memorial Aquarium Center in West Kelowna has been named in their honor, and the family continues to fight to keep David Shearing behind bars, and even to change the whole criminal justice system. They are big advocates, because just like us, just like every other Canadian, and especially the ones who have had their lives impacted by a a murder or a crime that has happened to their loved one, You know you don't want to see this continuing you don't want to see this happening every
1: time it just really makes me wonder though what do we have to do to change things here no i mean you've had families of someone that they've lost six family members you've had families like lindsey buziak's dad who's been like a staunch advocate over and over and over and over like it's driving it's driving their the surviving family members crazy to try to get justice and to try to get our justice system changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, even Chelsea Porman, who we've yeah. covered before, I just watched a special on her and there is a huge crisis going on. And we've touched on this with the murdered and missing, missing indigenous women and girls and two spirited people that they are going missing and nobody and is still and they're
1: being, it's like they're found in very, very, very like suspicious circumstances and our law enforcement is saying they died of natural causes not suspicious at all which okay but how did they you get, get there? a blanket on top of you well
0: how did you climb a fence when you couldn't even and you like it, there's so many things yeah. right i could go on and on about that but it, what i was trying to say is these families are being put like they're just like okay see ya and now they're forced basically to advocate for, for their the loved the, ones. For the and rest for, of their lives. Yes, it's like they've been given a, a task, right? I mean, it's crazy that they, sh- the, you know, they can't just mourn in peace and have justice for their loved one. Nope. They have, they have to, to be the one to like.
1: Advocate for justice and also face the criminals at parole hearings. Every couple years. Yeah. So, yeah, that was episode
0: 51. Um,. Yeah, I mean, it's a big one. It's a very sad case.
1: It's it's a, it's, a, it's a an important one in our history, though.
0: Well, and especially because it was so many years ago, right? I mean, yeah. everybody in, in Canada should, even further, they should know about this case, and a lot of people do not, yeah. right? Wells Gray is a beautiful, beautiful park, but it has such a horrible history, if you really look. Like, this is six family members were just taken. Their lives were taken for a selfish reason, and... I mean, that is most of the time what we see. It's never a reason where, you know, it's life insurance or sexual, sexually motivated. All these things, these people, these perpetrators are selfish, horrible, evil people. And then it's like, okay, hey, see you in 20 years. See you later. And get an unescorted absence. It's crazy to me. These people should lose all, any kind of chance for any kind of normalcy in their lives. Getting married, going out. See, I'm just going to take a little trip from jail. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. What's his, What's the other guy's name? Trevor Ertmode? Is that yeah. his name? The killer of Heather Thomas? Shane Ertmode. Shane. Oh, well, I don't even care what your name is. Trevor, Shane, Yeah. you fucking suck. And you should stay in jail for the rest of your life. No matter what you have done since that, your time is up. And it should be. And that's what we are really going to advocate for in the new year we're gonna write everyone we can I'm already working on something I'm gonna go to wherever I can go to get heard and
1: I'm one of the news I'm gonna take my clothes
0: off on the parliament building (laughs) (laughs) all right well look out for mom naked on the parliament building she's also probably gonna go and egg someone's house that lives over there too probably (laughs) but not (laughs) never mind never mind but anyway just kidding That was episode 51 of Murder With My Mother, the true crime podcast where I talk murder with my mother. Bye, guys.
1: See you later.